Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists of the regenerative movement, people who are committed to and showcase qualities of planetary leadership. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm a transformational coach, a breathwork teacher, and committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. I'm your host and creator of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Bruce Lyon. Bruce has been teaching in the area of esoteric wisdom, the tantric arts, cosmology, and universal spirituality for over 20 years. He's part of the Wisdom Council of ISTA, founder of Shambhala School, and the author of many books. He's also the creator of Wild Love, a global movement that celebrates the emergence of a culture of embodied love and freedom. The world's soul is moving, and we are in the middle of a major shift within human civilization. And so that's going to be the core of our conversation here today. With these words, welcome, Bruce. I'm really excited. Thank you, Julian. Yeah, I'm excited to share this time with you. Yeah, and as we're recording this, just to set a context, you know, it's, it's um, the middle of June. The world is going, uh, you know, uh, towards a solstice. And unprecedented times. There's a global pandemic happening. There's lots of reconciliation, lots of, you know, uh, healing of old wounds. Guide us maybe from your perspective into this understanding of these cosmological times we're in. Yeah, well, it is, um, it's an amazing time. And I, I think it's really just begun, you know, a, a couple of years ago, I've been starting to write about this particular time, this year and this decade ahead of us. Um, but of course, not knowing what that was going to look like, but it's, you know, I couldn't have imagined something that would stop the whole world, uh, which is really what the coronavirus has done. And, and such a beautiful way, you know, such a, a delicate way, actually. It's kind of like, you know, maybe we were headed for more of a Mack truck, but this has seemed to be a reasonably, you know, gentle way of getting our attention. Um, so... In my take on the world is that we are in a, in a deep time of global initiation, that humanity is, is in, a, in a place where it really needs to deeply reconnect with the soul, the soul realm. So my interest has always been, what does it take for an individual and for groups and for a planetary culture to take initiation, which is to deeply open to the deeper dimensions of its being when it's time. And I don't think any commentary on the world would disagree that Western civilization has kind of gone past its use by date in terms of materialism and its focus on survival. And this deep, you know, journey of awakening that's happened since the 60s is now really in, in full flight in the world. And, and it's critical. It's not just critical to, you know, the mental health of human beings. It's critical to the environment. It's critical to, you know, the whole thing at once. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the big question is like, what will it take? What will it take for the world soul to reveal itself and to open humanity's heart in a much deeper and more profound way? And I think we're, we're in the midst of that, that um, question right now. Mm, yeah, very much so. So you're saying this year 2020 is something you started writing about a, about a decade ago. And then also this entire decade, you said, is, is in, in front of us. I think one of the ways that, I've framed it on this podcast and, you know, I've heard many people speak about it is it's, it's the decade of, you know, ecological restoration. 
And at the very, very minimum, the opportunity and the clear necessity of this ecological restoration. What else is, is kind of dropping in there for you from that, from that perspective? Well, of course that, you know, like a deep opening of our hearts, you know, I think one of the, one of the emotions that most is needed in the world today is not so much anger, although anger can be useful to create change, but it's grief, like the deep, you know, allowing ourselves to truly feel the impact of, you know, humanity on the environment and, and you know, I, mean, I live on this beautiful island. I'm looking out at the ocean and uh, where the whales and dolphins come. I'm, I've got forests, you know, nobody who's a sensitive human being cannot help but feel what's happening to our planet. And that's a cause of deep grief. And that grief opens us to, opens us to the gratitude of what it is to be part of this amazing green planet, you know? So I feel like there's a, there's a deep need for heart opening and there's a deep need to not just, you know, be driven by survival fears of climate change, but by be driven by our love, our deep participation in this incredibly beautiful planet. Um, but I think that one of the contributions I've been trying to make is is the big picture story. Like humans have always been meaning makers and almost like part of our function on the planet is to be a bridge between mm -hmm. cosmos and earth, between a bridge between the formless worlds and the, and the worlds of form. And that, that pattern of making meaning also gives something to the earth. You know, we're not just like dependent beings sucking on our mother's breasts. We are, we are co-creative beings and the earth longs for awake human beings to live a, 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 more, a more beautiful story. And so I feel like the story that we're living has been very much, you know, um, broken down into materialism. Even our ancients, you know, lived a much more cosmic story. So the story that I'm trying to, to look at is one that's grounded both in the best of our scientific and astronomy, but also the best of our metaphysical understandings. We live at a time where we can harvest all of the world's great religions, all of the, the, the noetic understanding, all of the work of Jung and Freud and all of the psychologists, all of the environmentalists and the indigenous shamans, like all of that information is, is requiring us to come up with a new global mythology and story that gives us meaning and inspiration. So they're not, we're not just driven by desperation about what we're doing to the world, we're driven by inspiration from a far greater source inside us. And, um, and I believe that we're at a time that's, that the last time we saw such a deep change like this was, was the Renaissance, was the Copernican revolution when suddenly we discovered that the earth went round the sun. And so the cosmological understanding of, of the, where earth was shifted from an egocentric, the universe revolves around us to, oh my God, we revolve around the sun and the sun is consciousness and the soul. And so the Renaissance was born, you know, and since then we've lived this civilization that's really been based on consciousness, deep, you know, exploration of consciousness, um, you know, uh, the science and scientific materialism came along, industrial revolution, all of these things that have produced this, civilization of the last few hundred years. But if you go cosmological, that sun is not the center. It goes around another center. And that center is the center of the galaxy. That's, that's just the first jumping off point for a new cosmology, one that the whole world can relate to. 
And this cosmology is, is instead of putting consciousness at the center, instead of putting reason and understanding, when you have the black hole at the center, when you have the mystery, you have the void, you have emptiness, you have uncertainty. And so when beings start to operate from this level of their own being, you know, because the, the sun is part of us, the earth is part of us, the galaxy is part of us, when we start to center ourselves around these new cosmological symbols that are emerging, we start to be more comfortable with not knowing with living the mystery, with feeling our relationship with the universe rather than coming from our heads and our minds and our business plans and our, and our vision statements. We come from the heart in direct resonance with cosmos. So this big shift that's, that's changing is, is really what do we put at the center of our meaning making? If we put ideas at the center, then we have a world where we have ideas, we try to enroll everybody in the ideas, create a kind of global bill of rights or whatever it is, and then try to enforce it. If we have the mystery at the center, we restore life. And that life is a living gnosis in human beings that they can resource from the center of their own being. And of course, they still have consciousness and they still have their body, mind, you know, need to, to put one sock on after the other and, you know, pay their mortgage. But the core of their being, the infinite and the internal is restored. And so that restoration of our deep connection to the sublime worlds, to the, the, the deep worlds of the human spirit, I think is what's coming. And it's coming whether we like it or not, you know, it's coming through crisis and it's coming through inspiration, but it's coming. And I think people who are in touch with that are having the same experience that the Renaissance had, which is they're deeply inspired. Something is moving them from a very deep level and that becomes infectious, you know, that becomes, you know, a transmission of life. Mm. Powerful and very beautiful and eloquent how you kind of guided us to this complete new worldview that is you know not even taking our sun at the center but then from from there going beyond the the vastness the void the space the black hole and the mystery that's behind that and you know you also touched on something that i want to pick up on and kind of made a, a mental pin on it which is this disempowering narrative around climate change and what i'm hearing you know kind of between the lines of what you just mentioned there is that when we embrace the mystery, when we embrace the not knowing and we embrace the, the space that is actually within everything, then suddenly it's not so much about humans not trying to leave a carbon footprint, but humans in general really reflecting what's our role in the ecosystem? What kind of footprint are we actually leaving? And maybe as this, you know, you mentioned consciousness a few times, like being consciousness in a human experience we're actually consciousness in a human experience on planet earth. So we're also part planet earth becoming aware of itself as a walking living creature. And so that, that strikes me really interesting because from that perspective, again, we're going to come back to what you call wild love, this ability to connect with love and a, a life affirming kind of, kind of essence. Yeah. I love that. I, I love what you mentioned that, you know, humans are, are cosmos coming aware of itself on earth, you know, that we're, we're part of this great thing, you know, and Rumi says that there's a touch that your body wants with its whole being, the touch of spirit. And to me, 
the earth longs for awake human beings to walk on it. You know, it's not just like, let's just mm. reduce our carbon footprint. It's like humans have a role that the earth longs for. Like we're produced as part of the earth to be these senses for cosmos. And if we're awake and doing the work, then the earth is rejuvenated and rejoices at that. You know, my experience of, of living on this place, you know, where I feel so deeply connected to the earth is that the earth is glad to see me. You know, like I'm glad to see the earth, but it also works the other way around because there is, we're, we're part of each other. We have gifts for each other. So I feel like, you know, the, the, the thing that's gripped our Western civilization, which is fear and survival, you know, and a, a lack of willingness to face our own death, a deep fear of death means that, you know, our, our driving pattern is a survival pattern survival and control and and that's never going to be a deep enough motivation for a whole generation of young people who didn't come here to survive they came here to love and so you know the culture that's coming is going to be based Ooh, not so on awful. how do we like minimize our footprint and how do we like take care of everything because we're afraid of dying to how do we self-actualize the love that we are how do we bring the power of the love that we are to the planet you know as a as a gift as a as a contribution rather than as you know some kind of original sin that we're still living in and and i think that there's a whole generation that knows this instinctively but they don't have a voice yet because our, our civilization that exists is still rife with you know the the, the fear and control so what wild love is is um is an attempt to recognize something that's already happening. Just like when the 60s movement happened, it, it wasn't organized, it just happened. And the same movement of the world soul is happening now. And what Wild Love is saying is like, look, this is going on all over the world. Millions of people are, they're not opting out, you know, like the 60s, they're choosing another way. And that way is different, you know, from, the political path like you know the idea that the idea that like voting for a donald trump or a biden or whatever is going to make a big difference in the world misses the kind of point that the whole system is missing love and compassion and the deep inspiration and the stories that motivate human beings <clears throat> at a deep level so the people who are awake and alive with that are just saying look I'm not gonna waste my time fighting the system and I'm not gonna be like part of the control. I'm just gonna get on with the new world. I'm just gonna get on with the new civilization that's happening. And all over the world, millions of people have been doing this and for decades they've been doing this, but because they are not part of the drama, then they're often under the radar. They're just busy living the love that they are and the freedom that they are in ways that make their life come alive and the people around them inspired. So what I feel like is time on the planet, it's ripe for those people to become more visible because within yeah. mainstream society, a lot of people are undergoing a deep despair, a deep sense of powerlessness, and they're not seeing any examples of a choice beyond what's being offered. So the wild love movement is basically the emergence of the soul of humanity as it's embodied by people who have already made that transition in their own lives, becoming more visible so that that um, energetic of what's coming can flow into the mass initiation now of humanity. Like millions of people 
you know, hundreds of millions of people are going through in their own homes the experience that many people who have had the privilege and the time to do their soul work over the last few decades, you know, have had time to go through themselves. So while love is just basically saying, look, there's a movement afoot. There's something beyond the, the you know, partisan politics and, the, and the, the arguments that are hitting us in mainstream. There is a world that is already vibrant and alive happening out there, not just in nature, but in human beings, you know, there is this, this thing that's happening. And so the invitation of wild love is like, become more conscious of that. If you are one of those people, let yourself be more visible. Because one of the problems with people who have been deeply working with soul for decades, is they kind of have a, a self esteem problem with the world, they have no problem with their own self, because they made that choice inside themselves to live their own life of deep integrity but they've kind of accepted that the world's not that interested in that. And so they, they, they kind totally. of close themselves off from the world and have kind of like a low self-esteem. But my experience is the world is coming for the soul. The hunger and thirst for the soul is so strong in the world now that we're seeing it in mental health issues and suicide and the pressure on the inside of people to find deep meaning is so great that That now these people that have like isolated themselves off to live their own belonging to humanity, let what you have made, you know, of your own life become visible to humanity. And I would really want that. I know in my life, uh, I never found the elders, you know, I never found the examples when I was a teenager or a young person that I was looking out into the world and thinking, look, am I crazy or is the world crazy? Like, I'm not narcissistic enough to believe it's, it's the world, so it must be me, so I'll adjust myself, you know? And I wish I hadn't adjusted myself. I wish I just had had the inner authority to believe that the things that were alive in me were worth, that my soul mattered. And um, mm, yeah, so, so now there's a whole generation of young people that are looking to the world and saying like, where, where is the example? So the wild love is come show, you know, what you are living, what you are, what you have found on your journey. Yeah, Bruce, let's, let's tap in a little bit into, you know, the wisdom and the insights that are in you there and that, that we can unpack in this, in this episode today for Green Planet, Blue Planet, because as you're saying it, it's like, the cosmological clock is actually allowing this, this thirst for soul or this desire for like this embodied love, right? From enlightenment to embodiment. It's not a mental mathematics jogging. It's really about embodying it in your own life, in your own body, with the people around you, in the businesses we build. And so with that, actually, we'll also be bringing solutions to many of the systemic problems, but it actually starts with, with starting in your own body, in your own being. And so to unpack this a little further, I think one of the core experiences that every human being has to go through, and that also as a collective, it looks like we have massive, massive trouble, let's just call it this, is, is the experience of trust and trusting. And so my question for you, Bruce, is on a personal note, what does it require for you to experience trust and to have trust? Hmm. 
yeah, I think you're, you're, you've named a very deep thing. And if I look back at my life, I feel like the soul, my journey was, I, I went into marine biology and then into psychology because I trusted the natural world, but I didn't trust humans. And you know, my first teachers were dolphins, really. I went to the ocean and, you know, and in a way I felt apologetic for being a human being. Look, I'm really sorry that I represent this, this species that seems to be like so cruel and so, so heartless. You know, it was like, it, it was, it, it broke my heart as a young man to feel alienated from my own species. You know, like that was the first deep betrayal of the trust in my being, you know, so, so, but then to go and find trust in the natural world, to find like, there was not, there wasn't this kind of judgment or blame, you know, there was just this loving acceptance that helped me see myself in a different way as belonging to something. And, you know, and then, then the deep work for me was, okay, so now I, I trust the natural world, but I still don't trust humans. So, how do I, how do I like engage human beings? And so I've got, I tried to understand it. I tried to figure it out, psychology, philosophy, spirituality, but even when I understood it, it didn't really change it. So then it became the embodiment journey of like, well, okay, never mind how humans are. How do I want to live? How do, how do I want to live in integrity with myself so I can look that dolphin in the eye and say, look, I'm proud to be part of the same earth as you are. And you know, that the answer then was, okay, then I need to go find some other humans. So I can live my own life beautifully here on my island, you know, and feel, you know, good, but I'm part of humanity. So that drove me out into the world in my, in my teaching and my other ways. And fortunately, in the last couple of decades, I've met so many human beings I'm proud to be, um, you know, part of, like the human spirit at its depth is so fucking beautiful that, you know, a part of me has like restored my faith in what it is to be human. But only because, you know, I've had to choose to, to base my life on my own inner knowing and I've found enough other people that are doing that that I can feel trust again and I and I really feel like this is a deep betrayal of our young people like in New Zealand we have one of the highest teenage suicide rates in the world and we live in a beautiful country yeah. we live with high standard of living so what's the problem well the problem is that the soul looks out at a world that still does not honor the soul, hasn't found its soul, and feels betrayed by our elders, by our teachers, by our politicians, because there isn't a reflection back of the mattering of the human soul. And uh, the strong spirits come through. In fact, part of my work, my, my major work in the world is to help establish mystery schools and temples again, which are places where the souls of a generation that are here to bring change can come and find each other and f experience that deep sense of belonging and trust that comes from meeting other people like you, you know, instead of having to like travel all over the world and find one here or there, you know, that they will actually come together and be supported in their soul journey early. So I feel like the deep trust issue is a trust um, 
of the human soul. It's not even an emotional trust that not that I'm not going to be abused or um, you know there there are so many other abuses that flow out of this. But the core root of it is is the not being seen as a human soul, as a gift, as a as an expression of love, as a contribution, a creative contribution on the planet. That's the the gaze that heals people. Wow. Thank you so much for this answer and for this heartfelt, uh, you know, anecdote. I can really relate and can like feel you truly like telepathically through this transmission. You know that that moment when you you said it so beautifully, like when you go back to our our uh, conscious species ally, the dolphin, and you look the dolphin in the eye and you realize now I have nothing to hide anymore. This has always struck me like a, a little like personal share. They're like so, so weird about us humans is that thoughts aren't private like they're not inside your mind like if you still believe your thoughts are in your head like check again right like they're a vibratory uh, frequency phenomena and our feelings and emotions they are always shared like you can feel what other people around you feel it's, it's not that hard to learn right and so yeah that being a given how come that we've created this layer of deception and intrigue where we hide our agendas from each other which on the flip side also is really the only ticket into freedom if we talk about media censorship or like elites controlling or governments etc etc like all of that really can be solved if we as a species evolve into a place of transparent intent where our intent yeah. is so pure and so innocent which there's still quite a bit of work to do let's not let's not forget this and let's acknowledge this but that we can look at the other species on this planet in the eye and say like hey we're one we're one with all of you and we're here on this planet together in fact we're we're the we're the humans that that, that came to to kind of steward this form of peace into existence <sighs> yeah and i do think that it, it isn't all you know, greed and um, uh, and the kind of lack of caring, quite a lot of this is shame. You know, when you get down to the core of a human being, often there's a deep layer of shame to feel so deeply because kind of society, and particularly being in a male body, you know, society wants to teach you to be strong and independent and to squash my vulnerability and to like, you know, bring on the bacon and all of those things and to go back and unpack the very deep tender places that, that are, are able to feel a dolphin or a flower or, you know, the thoughts of others, like those, those very deep places of the human being, so much shame sits on top of them because they're shamed in our world. And so to reclaim them, to reclaim our tenderness and our connection with all life, um, because without that, you know, we develop this capacity to do what we do with animals, for example, like farm them in such horrendous, careless ways because we can't feel anymore. So society does such a good job of teaching us not to feel and then wonders why we are cruel. But our cruelty comes from the very, you know, training. And so I feel like a lot of it is not just that humans are inherently cruel and we don't, and we don't have original sin, like the deep nature of a human being is wild innocence and vulnerability and compassion and life force. So peeling away those layers and restoring what it means to be human, I think we've got to get past a lot of religious conditioning and a lot of other stuff that's been layered on top. 
100%. I, and I'm really curious there. You mentioned, you know, you're being part of founding and creating mystery schools. This is another question I like to ask because I'd like to kind of map the understanding of what people think about education and the programming and training we, we, we create. And so my question for you, Bruce, is if you alone, single-handedly, or in a group of experts were able to revolutionize the education and schooling system, what would you do? Yeah, well, I'd do what I am doing, which is set up mystery schools, because my own experience was I was a childhood genius. I went to university at 15, and it only took me to 17 to be feel totally disillusioned. And I, I know so many people, so many um, of amazing um, young people who are our future leaders who go to Harvard or Stanford or somewhere. And then what happens to them at the end is they get, you know, lobbied by Google or, you know, Facebook or someone. And, you know, and at that point, there's a deep sense of their souls having to choose between a deep knowing of what they came here for, which was to help radically shift the civilization on the planet or the the idea of going and getting a job and doing something that their soul doesn't really want to do but it just seems like that's what you do if you're powerful and bright and successful so i feel like our whole education systems are so poverty based in terms of what they offer because they aren't putting the soul at the center whereas a mystery school is something that knows that when you come into an educational program, it's not about equipping you with the information that you need to be successful in the world. It's about unpacking the deepest levels of the wisdom that already exists inside you and allowing that, supporting that to emerge into the world, not trying to put it into a box of a business or a politician or so I, you know, I feel like if I was going to change the education systems, I'd start with the soul, start with, the essence of a human being and, and really go back to what education means, which is to draw out of, not to put in. So, you know, I don't see change in the education system coming until there is a deep restoration of what is at the core of a human being and, and to foster that. Beautiful answer. Let's let that sink in a bit. That's, that's a really beautiful answer. Yo, short intermission. This is your host, Julian, for a short announcement. Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast is currently entirely self-funded from my private coaching practice and work in the world, speaking at events and teaching breathwork, meditation, as well as facilitating leadership programs. If you're at a place in your life where you're ready to level up, step forward and be all in, then this might just be for you. Have you considered hiring a coach or is it time to find someone who deeply cares for the same evolutionary revolution on our planet? If that's the case, I'm your guy. As a transformational coach, I've worked with hundreds of people at events and in person via weekly calls over various months. I'm in service to switch on humans just like you who are on the cutting edge of some of the most progressive stuff on planet Earth. And if that's not quite you yet, but that's the dream inside of you, then even more reason to reach out. Well, whether you are a successful entrepreneur, a startup founder, or an artist, I am here to support more people to deepen their planetary purpose. I've developed highly tailored coaching programs that are based on bringing out your gift into the world because I believe in a world in which we can empower and encourage all individuals to express their unique gifts. And all right, before we get back to the episode, make sure you visit my website, greenplanet-blueplanet.com mentorships 
or simply find your way there by clicking work with Julian and book a free consultation with me. And if you listen to the end of the episode, I will give away a discount for listeners only. So here we go. We're returning to today's episode. There's a follow-up question, you know, that kind of goes somewhat hand in hand with the whole process of learning. And we touched on it a little bit, but I'd like, I'd like for you to kind of dive in a, a bit deeper. And, and so my question is, what do you reckon will it take or does it take for humans or humanity as a species to actually learn from its past mistake? Because if we look at our history, if we look at all the atrocities that our species has done to itself, the planet and other species, which again is the big self, right? There's only really one of us here. Um, what would it take for us to learn from that? To like look at this and be like, oh, wow, right, we did this. Let's not do this anymore. Well, it's kind of like a denial mechanism. You know, I think it's part of the denial of death, part of our idea of a linearity that there's straight lines instead of spirals that, you know, like that go round. And I also feel like it's a, it's a, it's a split between the consciousness work and embodiment. So a lot of the consciousness work is idealized. You know, we would like to be more advanced than we are. And, you know, when people really develop their consciousness, they preference their spiritual part of their identity. And they try to deny some of their more base human instincts. I mean, the reality is if you take a busload of human beings from civilization and crash land them in the Andes, they're killing and eating themselves pretty fast. And a lot of their philosophy disappears, right? So yeah. there is a... There is a kind right of a, on the money there, man. A, a, a difficult, you know, thing between civilization, which is like a papered over veneer over the primal instincts of human beings. So unless you have deeply integrated your consciousness with your embodiment, if you have connected with your animal deeply and understand that, yes, don't shame the animal. The animal is part of a huge progress of development on the planet. You know, my first degree was in zoology. I studied apes. And I learned more about human behavior, I think, then than I did in psychology, because psychology often tries to push away from our animal past and graft on this, the soul. But actually, the soul includes the depths of our primal nature. So I feel like once people have done their consciousness work, you know, and when they first do, let's say, like past lives, you know, how many people remember their past lives as Cleopatra or, you know, Joan of Arc? How few people <laughs> yeah. remember that they were the inquisitor, they were the rapist, they were the murderer. So I think there's a natural tendency of consciousness to try to stay away from the dark truths of our past, our history, and of ourselves. We, we just can't handle it. So our consciousness hasn't developed enough to go into those traumas and penetrate them. But I do think that if soul work is done and if it's brought into deep embodiment, then we can access the spirit dimension, the dark dimension, and that allows us to face the very things that we are unwilling and unable to face. And only then can we really feel safe in our own bodies because we have married our deep animal with our spirit. Mm. Powerful answer, man. I'm so glad I asked this question and I'm inspired to share like, you know, my personal perspective on this. Cause I'm born, I was born in Germany, right? I like, I, I left really early on to become this like international um, exchange student and then like lived in all these different cultures and continents. But but being born German in this lifetime and in this body and then going through like the education system that, you know, did a 
okay job for whatever system we're operating in, as you mentioned earlier. Like it, it didn't quite start at Seoul, but it, it started somewhere. And so we had to face and reconcile this shame and guilt and horrific past of the Nazi uh, Third Reich. Like not just once. Like we, we dealt with this every year for like five, six years over and over and over and over again. And so, you know, I think for a lot of people, what it did, it just switched them off and it just drove guilt and shame deeper which I don't think is really healthy. But what it did to me was like, I just became so curious to how our, you know, our human collective didn't learn from that right away. How we as a species weren't like, well, wait a second, we're doing what? No, 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 right? Like, and so that kind of understanding of the destructive ability and then also putting, you know, especially like traveling everywhere in the world, like I was always confronted with it. And not what people would think, actually. I was more so confronted, and I've been to a lot of places, including Israel, and have friends in all cultures and all continents. But what I've been confronted with, actually, was the like weird shadow side of all that, with like people when they're semi-drunk starting to like raise their right arm and trying to shout like pseudo-German words and like kind of glorifying this. And I and I, I was really called into this ability to respond really early. Of am I just going to deflect this and pretend it's not there, or be like? yo, like, this is not okay. You're not allowed to say this. This is very wrong. And so it started for me to, to give me an insight into, and I'm still definitely processing forms of it, and I'm so glad I get to share this right now. You know, it's, it's like admitting our darkest darkness, understanding that that is a part of us, is what actually allows us to go to the, the lightest light and is what actually allows us to transmute the yin and the yang across all lifetimes, across all atrocities into, you know, the free choice of wild love, in, in your words, the free choice of, of loving and, and then even unconditional love. Because if love is conditional, you are not able to accept the past. Yeah. And I totally agree with this. In fact, I feel like in a way, the last big time that this kind of energy was happening on the planet was at the time of Hitler's Germany, where there was a deep upwelling. You remember Carl Jung, you know, was having these inner experiences because the shadow of humanity was showing itself. And that shadow is, is starting to come up again and will come up over the next decade. The, the difference is, I think, if we are willing to confront these energies, and penetrate them, then we can learn, like you're saying. And I'm so glad that I was brought up in New Zealand, actually, because a lot of my teaching in Europe, and this year, I was planning to do a 10-day retreat at Auschwitz, you know, to really work with the acupuncture point of that trauma within the human psyche. Like, I, I, do, I work a lot with trauma, and, and trauma will repeat itself until you address it. And so a lot of the trauma in, you know, European bodies, just working embodiment work in Europe, is like generations of grief is held in the body. We can't keep going on generation after generation, not dealing with the traumas of the past and expect it not to deaden us. So, um, you know, the capacity to penetrate trauma for me really comes not just from the gradual peeling away of the onion, because often we stay away from the trauma. Because, because inside the trauma are guardians that say, I will die if you go here. So working with people with sexual abuse or emotional abuse, or, and what that produces is a, is, a, is a culture of victims, because the trauma is still in there. And it's still yelling down in the depths, 
but on the surface, we've got to find some external reason for that trauma. So to me, confronting those traumas, you know, as a society, where, where are the leaders that teach us to grieve? Like stuff happens on our journey as a culture. And we need to pause and integrate and process before we move on to the next progress. So, you know, I don't know what happened in Germany, Germany but I feel like in the same way, let's say somebody um, suffers sexual abuse, if they don't deal with it, they repeat it over and over again and keep drawing in circumstances that um, produce it or they identify with being a victim. If they can face it and directly go through to the core, then they release the part of them that um, was never hurt. Like eventually they get to the invincible part of the human spirit that was never hurt, never wounded, um, that's underneath it. So I feel like that lack of penetration into the traumas of our civilization have meant that the civilization is carrying huge traumas now. And, and therefore it's, it's probably stuck, yeah. It's stuck. And in fact, now it's almost impossible to penetrate those traumas without starting afresh, you know, a planetary reset, really. And maybe, you know, we're in the process of that. Mm. I'm just hoping well, it's very that interesting. the upwelling, yeah, sorry, I'm just hoping that the upwelling of the planetary shadow, which is coming, is going to well, be yeah, yeah. less destructive than it has been in the past. Yeah, I am hoping the same thing. And I think, you know, with, with bearing the risk of just going a little bit on a tangent here, but I think it's, it's, quite, it's quite interesting timing for us to, to share this. I'm sitting in San Francisco as we're recording this. And so definitely in the United States through, you know, the, the, the recent police killings, um, you know, of, 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 of multiple people, right? It's, 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 it's an ongoing problem that has brought up this topic of racial reconciliation and this deep 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 wound because too many winters have passed of all of us ignoring this um and so as we're stepping out of our ignorance right out of this process of ignoring it's the processes are, are very similar i'll tell you actually the the reference point to germany as far as i'm educated and know throughout my own kind of family in that sense after the 40s when the second world war ended for about 15 years nothing was spoken about it was, a, it was a taboo across generations. And so, for example, my parents were born in the 50s. And so when they were teenagers, they were very young teenagers when the 60s revolution hit. So when the first dawn of the Aquarian age started to happen, right? In the US parallel, we had the resistance to the Vietnam War and, and this, like, this peace and love and unity movement. In Germany, what happened was the, well, fuck this, we need to talk about our past. And so in the 60s was the first yeah. time that that was confronted. And so starting from then, the, the guilt, the shame, the, you know, the admitting, the acknowledging was being addressed. But then, you know, it was still even, I was born in the late 80s and then grew up into the unity movement of Germany as a country and as a people, you know, uniting East and West. But, but still for us, we addressed all of it. We reconciled it, but we did this very mentally. It was like a an intellectual rehearsal. And so I think it was a good step, but it still doesn't fully address grief on the full level, right? Because grief sits, as you say, on the somatic layer. And so that means as a, as a species, like right now we're seeing it with the topic of racial reconciliation, they, we will continue to need to face these topics. 
ongoingly to what I call the green planet, blue planet. It's just a picture or an idea of a planet that actually works for everyone, a planet that is thriving, as you said earlier, like a whole generation of young spirits came into this, this, this realm, like this 8 billion of us now, because we want to see the human species becoming conscious of itself, conscious as its role of being an earthling, you know, a citizen in space, rotating around the sun that rotates around a black hole. And in order to do that, we need to go through that kind of an evolution. Yeah, it's beautiful. <clears throat> I was very really struck as you were talking by the fact that, you know, of course, the racism is a deep issue that needs to be addressed, but it's, it's flowing into something even deeper, which is colonialism, you know, like, like statues are being pulled down. And if you take colonialism to its roots, you're talking about really the mind's domination of the body. And we're still so deeply in that colonialism, you know, in the sense that our minds think we know what's best for our body. We think that our science can tell, you know, the best way to have a child, or we have diets that we put our body through, or we take it for a walk, but we've lost this capacity to listen to our body as a sentient being just as we're not listening to the earth as a sentient being. And there is so much still colonization of mind over body. This is the deep, you know, wound. And the body is trying to speak, you know, the whole earth is trying to speak and say, hey, stop feeding us your programs for self-development, you know, like, like, listen to me. The body knows, has, has wisdom. And so, you know, underneath the, the colonization of white people by black people, of indigenous, you know, repression of indigenous tribes, there's a deeper story that's trying to rise up, which is that the, the land itself, the body itself, the people closer to the earth are saying, you're not listening. And, you, and, and when we speak up, your mind is trying to like, now come up with a new mental concept to you know make it better or to assume your guilt or like change the system but you're still sitting on top of us and so it's almost like the mind you know is desperate because it doesn't know what to do what the body is saying surrender like surrender like admit that you don't know what to do like just admit that your system is not working and ask for help from a deeper part which is the soul you know, so I feel like, you know, that, that what's upwelling at a deeper level is the body of the earth itself saying to the mind of humanity, like, let go, let go of trying to figure it out and put an overlay on top of it and be our partner, be a partner in the living earth that is wise and can really help. Bruce, I'm so glad we, we got to explore some of those really uncomfortable topics and some of those, yeah. you know, like adverse topics that, that I believe, you know, contrast in any utopian future, contrast will still be real. Just the, the, the spectrum of contrast might, might go into a, a different kind of more playful level. And so the ability to face uncomfort and the ability to move through adversity, literally move through it in the somatic body and, 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 and fully say yes to that uncertainty is what actually kind of allows us to step into full freedom, into full self-realization, into presence. 
And so I have one more question for you and I'm happy for anything else you feel called to share or anything else you want to throw, throw into the mix or any call to action, anywhere people can find more of your work. But for now, the question uh, goes into, you know, your dream for the earth. If we see ourselves zooming out a bit and you just touched very briefly on like indigenous cultures, if we zoom out and kind of take on this indigenous to the planet kind of lens when thinking the seven generational cycle, so how can we be good ancestors for the future is maybe the context for uh, this question. And my question specifically is, what is your earth vision in the context of seven generations? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really excited, you know, for earth humanity when it gets past what I call integration. You know, it's almost as if humanity's at a point like a human's at a point where it's had a, a terminal cancer diagnosis. It doesn't know <clears throat> whether it's going to die or not. It just knows that shit has got serious. And so at that time, often a human being has an opportunity to go inside and feel into like, what are their core values? If I'm going to die, like, how should I live? Like, you know, I need to confront and face the fact that this could be the end. So what are my values? Like, what matters to me? So I feel like the whole earth is at, at, at that place. Earth humanity is at that place on the planet. And I'm really looking forward to the result, you know, like, because often when someone has a shock like that, then they, a new life begins. And I want to see what's on the other side. I hope I live long enough to see what's on the other side of this crisis when we have, like, reestablished our core values, when we have some equity of compassion on the planet, where the, the, the gap between rich and poor changes, the work with the environment changes, all of that is just like getting healthy. But to get healthy for what? Like the deep meaning of our existence is one of the things that motivates our health and, and our vitality. So I see Earth as a cosmic shaman. You know, just like, you know, when our shamanic self turns on, we are, we're sensitive, we're part of the environment, we're part of the whales and the dolphins and the forests and the ocean, but we also live in cosmos. And I feel like humanity has got to unify itself to play a, its role in cosmos. We, we live in the forest of galaxies and a universe that is also alive and sentient. And I'm not just talking about little green men on ships, you know, coming and going, but I do think that confrontation with what is consciousness just on earth or does it belong in a much vaster sphere is ahead for us. And I feel like, you know, when, you know, if a spaceship did arrive, people would get over their border disputes between India and China or between whether your neighbor has planted a vegetable on your side of the, the you know, your arbitrary line. You know, we would get over that really fast because something much bigger showed up. And I feel like that inspiration, the global inspiration for meaning of how Earth exists within its cosmic neighborhood and what is the relationship of humanity to the other kingdoms in nature and you know what is a much more ecological holistic view that includes cosmos not just you know our you know natural world i think that's coming and that excites me very exciting indeed the cosmological existence of humans in space you know and i think mathematically we can say that the probability of us being the only life form in this in this universe and then in the, the multiverse i think is it's sheer impossible 
<laughs> that we're the only life form. Right? And, you know, and you know, it's not only that, <clears throat> because I feel like one of the things that strikes people when they think about that is they think about it in terms of like other physical planets with other intelligent life with technology. And then they go to the science, which is like, oh my God, the nearest stars four light years away. So they'd have to have faster than light speed travel and that's unlikely. And then we just go back to breakfast, you know? But um, I feel like there is a whole exploration of consciousness that doesn't involve getting in a spaceship and traveling, you know, thousands of light years away. I think the way the universe is organized is starting to reveal itself to us. And that while there may be a physical limitation to the speed of light in the universe, what the mysteries of black holes are telling us and quantum entanglement and all of these things is they're saying, look, get out of the dimensional reality of the physical and start traveling in consciousness and then whole realms open up. I don't think we've even begun to experience what happens if a unified human newsphere or consciousness, a soul of humanity, began to really journey in the cosmic realms that are not just getting in a spaceship and traveling, but getting our awareness, our consciousness, our global brain operating in cosmic circuits. I feel like that's really where the new edge of exploration is. It's not so much on getting our feet on Mars, it's getting our souls into space. Powerful, man. I'm going to just let that stand. I like, I like where you went with this. <laughs> Bruce, thank you so much for making the time, creating that space, you know, in, in our interbeing today to meet, to drop in, to explore the topics of trust, of discomfort, of evolution, of education, yeah, I'm very grateful for you being here. Yeah, and I love, Julian, that you're doing this work and that you're creating platforms for transmission between many different people who are holding pieces for the world and for a generation to come. So thank you for taking the time to do what you do. Thanks for listening and here we are again. This is your host Julian. I hope you truly enjoyed this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast and received some insights and knowledge for your life, relationships and business. If you love Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, make sure to subscribe, leave a review that really allows this podcast to reach a broader audience and share it with a friend. Let me also remind you that this podcast is currently entirely self-funded. I'm a transformational coach and mentor, a breathwork guide, and want to offer all my listeners a full 10% off my private coaching work. That is as much as $500 for a three-month program, and this discount applies for all one-on-one -on -one coaching offers, as well as some select coaching groups that I host in person. If you're curious and interested, make sure to visit the website greenplanet-blueplanet.com and click Work with Julian. Let me tell you a little bit more about my planetary purpose and leadership programs. I am committed to accelerating our human tribe, going deep into unconditioning the blocking beliefs and blind spots, enabling your gifts and clarity to amplify for aligned business, healthy relationships and overall presence with life. I have worked with hundreds of people across the world, either one-on-one -on -one in small coaching groups on, online or in person at events. It is my gift to boost authentic confidence and guide you while asking the deepest questions that get you to address your dormant potential. I am an activator and catalyst for those 
who are ready to step into the highest version of themselves. We live in unique times and let me tell you from experience, having a coach makes a massive difference. I specialize on supporting successful entrepreneurs in unpacking their purpose and joy of life. I do work with startup entrepreneurs and artists as well, and on request I host individual breathwork mentorships. If you want to learn more, how to support the show, or suggest a guest, you can also simply send me an email. If you want to take advantage of the offer I just mentioned and claim the 10% discount, simply book a free consultation with me through my website that is greenplanet-blueplanet.com mentorships and mention the end of episode discount and I'll give the discount code to you right here, right now. It's 808. That's right. That's your code right here, right now, 808. Mention it to me in our free consultation that you can book by the website and 10% are yours. That being said, thank you so much for listening today. Have yourself an amazing day. Don't forget to hit subscribe, review the show, and share it with a friend. Mm-hmm.